dear friends of Jesus Christ, it's not easy being a parent. Kids require a lot of love and attention. They need to be fed and clothed, bathed and nurtured, protected, corrected. They cry all night long. They cry. They don't care how late you went to bed the night before or how early you need to get up the next morning. They don't care that you have to stand in front of church and preach on a Sunday morning. They just cry. It's exhausting at times, parenting. Physically exhausting when they're young and they need all of my energy, but emotionally exhausting, I'm told, when they get a little older. It's only a little natural for parents to worry about their children. We see things in them and we wonder where that habit or inclination will take them. We see them taking step t- steps towards independence, but we're not sure that they're mature enough to handle the responsibility. I've heard it said on a number of occasions that a parent is only as happy as their unhappiest child. We become so connected And after a while, it's hard to untangle one's own sense of well-being from the well-being of our children. And that same sense of connectedness, that bond, can also make it hard to let go as the child moves from being a child to an adult. I found myself thinking a lot about the parent's journey this past week, partially because it's my current reality, and partially because this text is filled with all kinds of family feels, and parental angst. Imagine being Mary and Joseph for a moment, walking home to Nazareth after a busy week of celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem. They didn't need to worry about the whereabouts of their eldest son. They were among friends, trusted relatives, neighbors. Jesus was just somewhere in the crowd, hanging out with his cousins, probably. But when Jesus didn't join them for dinner, they started to worry It's hard to describe that terrible feeling of dread that settles in when you realize that one of your children is missing. I'm sure that Joseph and Mary shouted Jesus' name for hours. I'm sure that the whole caravan checked their bags and retraced their steps, but Jesus was not among them. I imagine that Mary and Joseph were gripped with all those different kinds of emotions and fears, anger, guilt, embarrassment. And to top it all off, Jesus, of course, was no ordinary child. The angels had told Mary that this child, her child, would would sit on David's throne. Let's just say you don't want to go down in history as the mother who lost the Messiah. Early the next morning, Mary and Joseph anxiously returned to Jerusalem, and to their horror, once they arrived, they couldn't find Jesus anywhere. He wasn't in the marketplace. He wasn't in the guest room that they had stayed in. Where'd he go? Three days later, they finally found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus was 12 years old, we're told, at the time of this incident. 12 is a significant age in the Jewish community. It's a transition year of sorts. In the Jewish community, a father is responsible for the actions of his pre-teenage children. But when a boy turns 13... He becomes accountable to God and the community. In modern terms, he becomes a bar mitzvah, a son of the law. 
In order to prepare for this transition to responsibility, 12-year-old boys in Jesus' day spent many hours memorizing and studying the Torah, the law. And being the son of pious, Passover-celebrating parents, you know that Jesus never missed a catechism class. And he must have been paying attention too. For everyone who heard him was amazed at his answers and his understanding. Mary was less than amazed, however, when she saw her lost son sitting with the teachers. She doesn't see the boy that is turning into a man. She sees her precious lost child. Overwhelmed with emotion, Mary chastises Jesus. Son, she says, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching all over for you. Notice that Mary uses possessive, diminutive language when addressing Jesus. See, she addresses him using language that highlights the relationship that Jesus has with her. Son. The Greek word used here is technon, which means child or offspring. By using this word, Mary is, not, Mary is, is, is highlighting the fact that Jesus is still a little boy. In fact, not just a little boy, but her little boy. Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Sometimes I use language like that with my children when I want to remind them who they are and who I am as their father, right? Son, your mother and I do not stand for that kind of behavior. Alas, it rarely has the desired effect. <laughs> Jesus' response to Mary is interesting and really important, I think. He doesn't apologize to her. Instead, he responds with what appears to me to be a gentle chastisement of his own. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? You could read this as a sarcastic response from Jesus. You can almost imagine him rolling his eyes in that way that only preteens know how to do. But I don't think Jesus is being sarcastic. There's something gentle about asking a question. A question doesn't accuse, it invites reflection. And a good question can disrupt our anxiety-fueled reactions and reignite our capacity to think. Should it be a surprise to Mary and Joseph that Jesus was found in the temple? No, not really. This is the child that the angel said would be called Son of the Most High, Son of God. Deep down, Mary knows this. Deep down, she knows that Jesus is not hers to keep, but hers to steward. But still, it's hard to let go. Don't be so surprised, Mom. I'm getting older now, and this is where I need to be. You know, there comes a time in every young person's life when a transition needs to be made. A transition from childhood to adulthood, from playing with toys in the living room to working with one, one's parents in the family business, from, from being a recipient of parental care to being a participant in the household economy. In this scene, Luke is giving us a little window into Jesus' developing sense of self and his sense of purpose in the world. The little boy phase of Jesus' life is coming to a close and he's about to take on the role of the eldest son. 
in the household of his heavenly father. And what is an eldest son's role in the household? Well, in Jesus' day, an eldest son's role, his, his role was to extend the re- renown of the family name, to extend the renown of the father's name, to take over the family business, to be a living, breathing representative of the father's will in the world. It's only natural for a mother to want to hold on. I mean, Mary carried Jesus in her womb for nine months and then breastfed him for another 14. For 12 years, she put food before him at his table and tended to his skin knees and, and his owies. For 12 years, she tucked him into his little bed and comforted him, comforted him when he had nightmares. But now that Jesus is on the cusp of adulthood, things are beginning to change. Now Jesus wants to spend more time with dad than with mom. And who is his father, really? His father is the one who brought Israel out of Egypt. His father is the one who made the Passover possible. No wonder Jesus didn't want to leave the temple. It was Passover time, and he was learning his father's craft. This is our first glimpse, I think, in the Gospels of the kind of person that Jesus will grow up to become. The wisdom that the teachers of the law noticed in the temple will be noticed by the crowds, too, when Jesus appears in the Galilee, preaching and teaching with authority. The growing favor that Jesus received from God and people will be publicly confirmed on the day of his baptism. On that day, Jesus will hear his heavenly Father say, You are my Son. With you, I am well pleased. But just as Jesus' true identity will be confirmed on many occasions, so will people not understand him on many occasions, just like Mary and Joseph didn't understand what was happening. Mary didn't understand that it was necessary for her little boy to remain in the temple. The disciples don't understand why Jesus keeps saying that he must suffer and die. The crowds liked it when Jesus was with them and he was healing their illnesses and teaching with authority, but they, they didn't understand why he kept saying that it was necessary for them to pick up their cross and follow him. Who does this guy think that he is? The people said when, Jesus, when the Jesus tour rolled into Nazareth. Isn't this just Mary's child? We, we know this guy. We remember when he was a scrawny little kid. Isn't this just Mary's child? The religious leaders saw Jesus as a threat. The Romans saw him as a public nuisance. Very few saw him for who he actually was, the Son of God, who must be in his Father's house, extending the renown of his Father's name while going about the Father's business. It's Epiphany Sunday today. Epiphany, manifestation, appearance. It's the season in which the church is invited to take a good close look at the person of Jesus. In this season, we remember that Jesus is so much more than Mary's boy child. Rather, he is the manifestation of the invisible God, the exact representation of God's own being. And he's come filled with grace and truth to extend the work of God into the world. Our culture is pretty good at celebrating the birth of Jesus, Every year, our churches, even here in Victoria, they swell with people who've come out to hear the story and 
sing the familiar songs. But by epiphany, things are usually more or less back to normal, which is sad because things are just getting started. The world has never had a more accurate representative of the Father's word and will on earth. Jesus makes manifest the ways of God and the face of God and the love of God to the world that's desperately in need of love. In the ancient times, God spoke through prophets in various ways. But then at the appointed time, God sent his one and only son. A son knows the father's business. A son extends the father's work. He represents all that the father represents. And those who receive this son, who listen to him, receive the father as well. I love that this little home alone-like incident happens during the Passover. In the Old Covenant, the exodus from Egypt was God's most significant act of salvation. In Egypt, Israel lived, under, lived as slaves under Pharaoh's fierce grip. But God saw their oppression, God heard their cries, and God came down to the rescue. Liberation from oppression, that's the Father's business. 22 years later, Jesus returned to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover once again. This time he came with his disciples, the brothers that God had given to him. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the elements of the Passover meal, the bread and the cup, and he used them to teach his disciples about a deeper liberation that was about to take place through his own body and poured out blood. After his crucifixion, Jesus went missing. For three days. For three days, the disciples anxiously searched for a meaning that could help them make sense of all that had taken place. They didn't understand that it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and die. They didn't understand that this was the means that God was using to liberate the world from slavery to, death, from slavery to sin and death. But three days later, Jesus was found in the garden. Three days later, he was found walking the road to Emmaus, walking alongside weary and heavy-laden, uh, disappointed people. Should that be a surprise? No, for bringing hope to the hopeless is the Father's business, and the Father would not let his Holy One see decay. And even now, Jesus ascended, he, has, he ascended and sits at the right hand of God, and he is still going about the Father's work through the church in the world. Together, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are building up a new household, one not made by bricks and wood, a new temple, not just in Jerusalem, but spans the whole world, spans every tribe, nation, and tongue. That's the church of Jesus Christ, the household of God on earth. And all those who hear the call and respond with faith are renewed and repurposed and reassembled into this household that God is building on earth, a household that seeks to extend the renown of the Father's name, to go about the Father's business, to do what we saw Jesus doing, our brother. What do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see what God sees? Or do you see what Mary sees when she stumbles upon Jesus in the temple? It's filled with fear and anxiety. What do you see?
If Luke were here this morning, he'd want us to see so much more than Mary's boy child lost in the temple. He'd want us to see the Son of God growing into his God-given identity, poised and ready to join the Father's work for the sake of the world. And as we think about Jesus growing into his identity as a son of the Father, it also makes me think of us growing into our identity as sons and daughters of the Father. Our first priority in this world is not to please our earthly parents, although that's important too, but more importantly, to fix our eyes on our Father in heaven, to be found in his household, at work in his kingdom, This is my son, God said of Jesus, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, follow him, trust him, find life in his name, join him. Amen.